And welcome to an, another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, coming to you live from right here on TalkingAlternative.com from New York City. And today's discussion, um, I guess in honor of, my, of me... Uh, going back to school to get my transitional doctorate of physical therapy, and I start June 1st. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, talking to our sound engineer, Janice, here in the studio. Um, I thought, you know, what a great idea to ha- to start bringing on some student physical therapists, because I feel like I've had a lot of discussions here on where people who are already in the business see the future of physical therapy going. So I thought, wouldn't it be nice to actually interview people who literally are the future of the profession? So uh, today I'm very excited. I have two um, great ladies who are uh, in in with us for the next hour. Uh, First is Holly Polkett. She just graduated from Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas, just this past Saturday, actually, and is now transitioning from DPT student to working physical therapist. Her passion currently lies in outpatient orthopedics with a manual focus, as well as patient and PT advocacy. She is also a certified yoga instructor and hopes to be able to incorporate that into her patient treatment, and she is very excited to be entering this profession and continuing to grow as a clinician. And I also have on the line with us today Stephanie Sandvik. She is a North Dakota native, and she is in between her first and second year of physical therapy school at Washington University in St. Louis, and she is also completing a year-long NIH-sponsored clinical research fellowship through Washington University's Clinical Research Training Center and currently works in the lab of Linda Van Dillen, where she studies how movement impairments affect outcomes in people with low back pain. Stephanie is also the recipient of the TL1 NIH Research Grant, the Washington University Thomas Murray Scholarship, and the Washington University Program in Physical Therapy Research Assistantship. And Stephanie received her Bachelor of Science degree in Biology from the University of of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. And she also has done research as a National Science Foundation scholar at San Jose State University and an Amgen, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, scholar at Stanford University. And when she graduates from PT school, she plans to pursue a career where she can combine clinical work and researching. So Holly and Stephanie, thanks for taking the time out and coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. And Holly, congratulations on just graduating like two days ago. I know. Thank you. I'm very excited about it. Yes, yes, I know. Stephanie, you're like, oh, how many? So, Stephanie, how many more years do you have until you graduate? I have two years left. Two more so years. I added a year on. Yep, I added a year on to my PT education. Okay, great. So, you know, what I thought we'd start with today is, I know we, we've, the three of us have been kind of emailing, and I think something important to kind of start the show off with is um, let's talk about when you're, let's say, graduating from high school, you're graduating from an undergraduate degree, and you really feel you have this passion and you want to go to PT school, What? how do you choose the right program for you? So, Holly, I'll have you kind of start on this one. So how would you, what is your best advice to people thinking about going into PT school on how to choose the best PT program for them? Well, um, I believe that you have to kind of look at a couple of different things. One of them is, is it important where your location is? Is it important what you want to get out of your clinical education? Or maybe is there some other circumstance that you're looking at? So you have to determine that first. Mm -hmm. When I was looking for PT schools, I was looking mostly in state, so I was looking at location-wise, but I also knew that I was passionate about outpatient orthopedics. So when I was looking, I started looking into the faculty of different programs to see what their interests were and where they were certified and their um, credentials. And for me, that was an important factor to look at. Okay. And how about you, Stephanie? What Now, you're obviously very um, big into the research aspects. So did that kind of sway you toward one school versus another? And what would your big advice be? Yes, actually, the main thing that I looked for in a PT school was the research reputation of the school, Mm -hmm. because I really wanted to pursue some clinical research, 
but I also looked at um, location as well. I wanted to be in a pretty big city because I'm from North Dakota and I wanted to go somewhere new. Sure. And I also looked into, or I like to compare the clinical education programs as well, like Holly had stated. I thought that it was really important to get as much clinical time as I possibly could and to have opportunities to be able to do my clinical, my clinicals in different locations around the country because I still don't know where I want to end up. Uh-huh. I think it's really important to, while I'm young, move around the country while I can and see if there's a great location for me and learn about the different um, policies that are in PT with different states. Sure, great, all great advice. And and here's something that is interesting that you guys didn't bring up, and I'm wondering if you hear this from from maybe your uh, fellow students. But how much does the cost of the school come into play? So you know, maybe some schools are will are more likely to give out scholarships. Some are not. So how much does do you think that plays into the decision making process? And I'll, Stephanie, I'll have you take that one first. I think it's important that the school offers scholarships for students, but um, and the cost is obviously really important. Mm-hmm. When I was going into school, um, even though cost was something that I was really concerned with, one of the reasons why I made my decision to go to Washington University was because they did offer me a scholarship, and so that was important to me. Also, um, opportunities to... Um, gain uh, experience in research through maybe some type of research job or work study was really important to me as well. But um, for me, if I would have gone to school in North Dakota, I would have been paying a significantly less amount of money. Mm-hmm. But just the aspect of how great of a research institution Washington University was kind of outweighed okay. the cost that I would be paying because I think education is an investment. And mm-hmm. so even though I will be paying that back my student loans for a really long time, uh-huh. I think that it's going to be worth it all in the end. But right. I think edu- or I think cost is something that people really do need to consider because it's expensive. Yeah, and how about you, Holly? What are your thoughts on, on sort of the cost, perhaps uh, other factors outweighing the cost? Um, I think Stephanie really hit it on the head there. The education that you get is an investment, so you really do have to look at the pros and cons. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in a program for three years, and you're going to want to be happy with that decision that you've mm-hmm. made. Mm-hmm. So I think it is important, but looking at it ultimately, PT school is very expensive no matter where you go. Yeah, very true, very true. And I have to say, I, I kind of liked a couple of points that you both made. Holly, I love that you had said that you really researched the faculty at your schools. And I think that, you know, a lot of times when you're going out on your sort of school tours, which we've all done, um, I feel like a lot of times when people are taking you out on tour, they're pointing out, oh, here's our new gym. We have the student center. We have this. But they don't really go into, you know, we have this great professor who is going to be here for X amount of years. And they're doing, in Stephanie's case, let's say they're doing this great research on X, Y, and Z. So I think it's important as a student to kind of look past a lot of the bells and whistles, so to speak, and really be able to hone in on what's important to you. Would you guys agree with that? I don't know what it was like when you went on tours of your colleges, but... Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. When I looked at schools, actually, I didn't even tour Washington University before I decided to go here, but when... I was looking at other schools, there were a lot of things about them that they showed us, like the gym and, you know, the faculty, and there were a couple of schools that I toured where they didn't have a lot of faculty, uh-huh. but they had a good faculty-to-student ratio. Uh-huh. Some schools had had quite a few faculty, but they had a lot of students, so mm. the faculty-to-student ratio was a, a little higher, Okay, but that's also something very important to look at. You need to make sure that there's going to be things in the school for you to do outside of class so mm-hmm. that you can, you know, relieve stress. Because PT school is pretty stressful, yeah. so it's important that there's those extra those extra activities and that faculty support to really help you get through and to make sure that you're successful. Right, right. So, and so I think, uh, you know, you guys make a couple of great points just to kind of summarize where we've gotten so far is, Look for your look for the the quality of the faculty. Like Holly said, she was really in, interested in orthopedics, so she wants to kind of be amongst faculty members where perhaps that's their specialty. 
looking at research opportunities and and uh, and I think also the the student to uh, teacher ratio is very important just out of curiosity um, how big are your classes Holly how big is the class that just grad that you just graduated with how many PTs there are 40 students that graduated 40 okay and how about you Stephanie my class is 82 82 Yes, that's it's a, one of the bigger class sizes. Yes, that's big. That's quite big. I think when when I went, we started with forty five, and I think ended with just below forty. So, um, and which is I don't know. Would you say that's sort of average around forty to fifty? I would. Say I would. So. Say I would so. say. I would say most PT schools are are around forty to fifty students. Okay. Okay, and. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break in a few in in a minute. But um, I want to have you guys kind of think about this question because I think um, I think Stephanie you brought it up, sort of talking about uh, clinicals and things like that. But when we start out the next segment, what I want to talk about is once you're in PT school and you're sort of matriculating through, how do you choose what clinical site is best for you? And is this something that you really want to look at even before you choose the school? So we're going to kind of start out the next segment with that uh, question. So you guys uh, hang in and everybody stay tuned. We'll be right back. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Are you confused about which diet is right for you? Are you tired of being tired? How about improving your energy, strength, and appearance? Hi, I'm Rika Keck, a holistic nutrition and wellness consultant. If you have answered yes to any of my questions, contact me now at nyintegratedhealth.com or at 646-285-8588. Initiate change and transform your life. Are you concerned about the future of your business or career? Would you like it all to just be better? Well, the way to do that is through better communication. And the best way to do that is training from the team at Improving Communications. This is Larry Sharp, host of the Ivory Tower Radio Program and director at Improving Communications. Does your office need better leadership, customer service, sales, or maybe better writing or speaking skills? Could they be better at dealing with confrontation, conflicts, and touchy subjects? All are covered here at Improving Communications. If you're in the New York City area, stop by one of our public classes or get your human resources in touch with us. The website is improvingcommunications.com. That's improvingcommunications.com. Improve your professional environment. Be more effective. Be happier and make more money. Improving Communications. That's the answer. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. This ain't a song for the broken hearted. And welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and I'm joined today by Holly Pulkett and Stephanie Sandvik. Holly is a new graduate from uh, with her DPT, and Stephanie is in between her first and second year of physical therapy school. Um, and if anyone has any questions for myself or for Holly or Stephanie, you can call in toll-free at 877-480-4120 um, if you guys have any questions, or you can tweet me questions at uh, my handle is at Karen Litzy NYC. Um, so either way, if you have any questions, you can call in or you can tweet them. Um, okay, so getting back to our our discussion here with our with our um, DPT 
student and a half, I guess, since Holly had just graduated two days ago. Um, so let's talk about, um, and Holly, I'll sort of have you start because I think you've gone through some more, cl- obviously, clinical rotations than Stephanie has, but... Let's talk about choosing your clinical sites. You know, and over the break, I was sort of having conversation here in the studio with Janice, and I was saying, God, I wish I was as smart as these girls when I went to school. So I was like, yeah, they have PT. That sounds good to me. And, you know, I just did not put as much thought into it probably as I should have. Um, but, you know, the the outcome, I guess, is the same. I graduated and I'm working. But... Um, I think really putting a little more thought behind, like in our last discussion about really how to choose your school, really putting some thought behind it. I think you'll you'll really get out of school so much more if you are very clear and and have not very clear, but at least have a pretty good idea of of what you what you really want when you graduate. So. To that end, let's talk about choosing your clinical sites or choosing your clinical instructors. So, Holly, what what is your, you know, how did you go about choosing your sites and, and your instructors? Well, I think Texas State actually has a very fantastic system for setting up clinical sites for students. We don't do a lottery system. They oh, okay. um, sit down with us and discuss what our goals are for clinicals what kinds of things we want to get out of it. And we also do a couple of different tests to kind of find out our learning styles and our personality styles, and they incorporate that into the process. So we sit down and tell them our goals, and they match us with Uh sites that they've either prior set up or sites that we can set up. And again, for me, like I said, I'm interested in outpatient orthopedics, so... I really wanted somebody that was manual focused, um, maybe board certified OCS Mm -hmm. or fellow. Those were things that were important to me, but other people that maybe were not sure of their focus could say, well, I might be interested in neuro, so I'd like to do something with a neuro population Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then also like to have a balance. Our requirements for clinicals, we just had to have one inpatient and one outpatient. Okay. So I know some schools require one acute care, one outpatient orthopedics, um, maybe a geriatric setting. Right. So I think that we had a lot of freedom, which was beneficial because we got to play into the part of it a little bit more than some students do. Mm -hmm. So I was grateful for that because I could really find sites that matched my goals and would help me develop as a future clinician. And where did you do your clinical rotations at? Were they all in Texas, or were they kind of all over the country? They were all in the Texas area. Okay. We did have a few students go out of state. Uh Uh-huh. Actually, might have been one of my regrets is that I would have loved to do an out-of-state clinical, Mm -hmm. but logistically it was difficult to find living and all of that. So if we didn't really have a specific area or place in mind with living, Mm -hmm. they... They didn't necessarily set it up unless we really wanted them to. Right. But I did one of my clinicals in the outpatient clinic in San Antonio, Texas, Mm -hmm. and then my other three clinicals were in the Austin, Texas area, one at an acute care unit, and two of them was a combined clinical at an outpatient orthopedic facility. Great. You know, I had a couple of PTs from Austin on the show in the last couple of weeks. I had Jared Carter, but he does, he has sort of like a, and Alan Basilink. Both uh, PTs, okay. both PTs in Austin. Um, I don't know if they take students, but they're also both based in Austin, Texas. Um, so, what? And how about so, Stephanie? Let's go with you now. I know you're in between your first and second year, but how does Washington University sort of work their clinical sites? And what are some things that you're thinking about that might make your clinical rotations uh, more beneficial for you? Right. Well, Washington University does it does a lottery system, uh-huh. and we have you know hundreds of sites that we can choose from all across the country. Okay. Even if you get the last number, there's always like a good site that you can <clears throat> that you can pick. And so the faculty guide. So you sit down with the faculty and you tell them what their, your goals are, and they'll make suggestions for good fits for you. Mm-hmm. And all the clinical instructors are decided by the clinical facilities. 
but we also have a system where you can look at reviews from past students mm. to see what the site is like, mm-hmm. the CI is like. Great and, idea. Um, so you can use that to help guide you. And then also you want to make sure that um, we're required to do one inpatient and one outpatient, and you want to make sure to match what your interests are. So if you want to do neuro, you know, you could maybe do two neuroclinicals, mm-hmm. or if you want to do outpatient orthopedics, you can do two outpatient orthopedic clinicals. And I think that I'm interested as well in orthopedics, especially I'm interested in treating people with low back pain disorders. Yeah, not hard I to find. My my first clinical rotation will be actually in a couple of weeks at Denver Health Medical Center for okay. acute care. Okay. Then when I choose my other three sites, I plan on looking for two outpatient clinics, one that's manual-based and then one that is based in another type of um, uh, way to treat people with movement disorders called movement system impairments. Okay. So I'd like to do a clinical like that and then probably a neuroclinical because I think I'm also interested in that as well. Sure. A wide variety across the country. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And now, so each of you complete four clinical rotations, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And so now let's say you get into the clinical affiliation that you want to be in, what are your tips to to be successful in those clinical rotations? So Holly, I'll have you kind of start. So what are some tips that you can give, and, and obviously you can give to Stephanie right now, um, to be successful and to really get the most out of your clinical rotations? I would say one of the first things that you should do is sit down with your CI and tell them what you need because they're not mind readers. They don't Mm -hmm. know you. Mm -hmm. But I think it's best to be very upfront. Say if you think you want to watch for a week and you observe it, you know, you just want to sit and observe and kind of watch the flow of the clinic or the flow of the hospital, tell them that. If you want to jump right in right away, also tell them that. And then they know what to do with you If because some CIs, are going to project on you like, oh, well, I like to sit and watch, so maybe they do. Mm -hmm. If you don't, you need to tell them that. Mm -hmm. Also telling them how you like your feedback, whether you want it delivered to you right when you're doing something or maybe after the patient has left. Mm -hmm. Um, And you'll kind of learn that as you go on your clinical rotations. You may not know it in your first clinical, but by your second clinical You've kind of learned the things that you like and you don't like about your CIs so that you can tell your future CIs what you need to mm-hmm. learn best. Mm-hmm. And after you've talked to them about it, if there continues to be maybe a little bit of differencing with learning processes, then you can just keep them updated. I think weekly meetings or every other week, mm-hmm. just meeting with your CI, make sure things are going well, maybe find out some things to work on keep setting goals throughout the clinical. We have a system and process where when we're in our clinical education course, they have us mail in every three to four weeks just a new goal sheet of what are your next goals for the next two to three weeks. And I think that that's a really great process because it keeps you very active Mm -hmm. versus getting to a point where you're just showing up to the clinical and performing and trying to work on skills in clinic, you're also challenging yourself. So maybe continuing to research the things that you see in the clinic. Mm -hmm. I did some outside research and some outside projects. Um, In my first clinical, I did a little study on, not a study, but a little bit of research on yoga for outpatient orthopedic Mm -hmm. conditions, so Mm -hmm. different impairments, and did Mm -hmm. a presentation on that. In my acute care, I did a West Nile virus presentation because we were seeing a lot of patients that were coming in with West Nile virus. And then in my last one, um, we have a system in process kind of through the EIM Clinical Excellence Network that we put together a case study and presented that. So we were still doing projects and still learning actively through the clinicals. And for me, I think that was really great and important. Right. So it's, it's sort of like not just going in and like clocking in nine to five and leaving, but really, you know, investing more into yourself throughout these clinicals to really make them successful. And, yes, yeah. definitely. And Stephanie, now I know that you have a clinical coming up, but you've done a lot of research and you've obviously been in, in, in labs, which I think can be 
the same thing as doing a clinical rotation. So my question comes, so Stephanie, yours is sort of a lottery type system. What, what would happen if you went to a clinical site and you and your CI just are like, what is it? Water and oil. Water and oil? I was going to say vinegar. That's not right. <laughs> or water and oil. You know, what, what do you do then? You know, and, and I ask you this because you've been in, in lab, different labs with people. And so if, if that were the case, what is your best advice for someone to kind of get beyond that? Right. Well, it's really important to uh, acquire skills where you can interact with a lot of different types of people. You're not going to get along with everybody Mm -hmm. that you meet in the workforce or in life. So it's just really important that you communicate to your CI or to who you're working with um, why you're feeling uncomfortable Mm -hmm. or um, things that they could do to help make you better, uh, help you learn better. And also you need to take initiative to improve on what you're going, what you're having problems with. Mm -hmm. I would Mm -hmm. say if I ever enter a situation like that, it's just really important to try to find ways to help mediate any conflict that Mm -hmm. comes up. And it's so important to communicate. I feel like that when you do have problems, one of the number one reasons conflict comes up is because there's little communication between two people and misunderstandings come about. Mm -hmm. And like Holly had said earlier, People can't read minds. Yeah. It's really important that you communicate how you're feeling or things you're struggling with so that your CI can do the best they can to help you. And if they're not willing to help you, then you might have to do some research on your own. And eventually, if it is pretty bad, you may have to contact your clinical uh-huh. um, advisors back at your school to help them. Maybe they can help you mediate the situation. Right. right, yeah. So, I mean, I'm assuming that most clinical instructors... Oh, here's a question for you guys. Clinical instructors, are clinical instructors certified? Is there... To you, I'm asking because I really don't know. So to the best of your knowledge, if you're going to, let's say, an outpatient clinic or a hospital, and is your CI sort of certified as a clinical instructor? They don't have to be. Okay. You can be certified through the APTA, I believe, mm-hmm. um, to be a certified clinical instructor. Mm-hmm. However, none of my CIs were certified. Okay. And I'm not sure if any of my classmates had APTA certified instructors. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was just kind of curious about that because I honestly did not know. Um, <laughs> all right. So um, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to kind of get to, I know, something that I'm very curious about. And that is what you guys, how, how, your opinion of your curriculum and what you feel maybe was missing or maybe something that could be tweaked to improve, improve your overall curriculum. So we'll be right back to talk about that. So everybody stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power Power Hour, Hour. at 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And its limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
And welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by new graduate in physical therapy, Holly Polkett, and Stephanie Sandvik, a DPT student between her first and second year of physical therapy school. Holly just graduated from Texas State University, and Stephanie is currently at Washington University in St. Louis. Okay, ladies, so here's a hot topic. Um, what do you feel is missing in in Holly's case was missing and Stephanie's case maybe is missing from your PT curriculum and what would you like to what changes would you like to see so Stephanie let me start with you you're in between your first and second year what what do you feel like what do you wish was was included within your your education thus far Well, I've only finished my first year of PT school, so I haven't gone through the whole curriculum, so I'll put that disclaimer out there. Uh But one thing that I experienced during my first year and that I'm currently getting a lot of training in this year with my research year is that um, I feel like we as PT students and as future PTs should learn more about research and and statistics and methodology and the research process. And we do get this in our first year of PT school here at Washington University, but we're so bombarded with other classes like Mm -hmm. anatomy and kinesiology, things that we feel are more important. And so when we're presented with this information, we tend to overlook it a little bit because we're worried about some other subject. Mm -hmm. And when I was going through my first year of PT school and we would be presented with statistics and different um, methodological designs, you know, I listened and tried to learn it, but I was more worried about learning my anatomy because we would have an exam coming up. Right, right, this right. This year, all of my learning focus has been on research methodology, learning about the research process, and making sure that I can critically analyze the literature. Mm-hmm. And I've realized that even though we do get that in PT school, you don't realize its importance until you have to apply it to something. I agree. So I think that that's something really important that, I know some PT schools have research projects and some PT schools don't, but I think that that's something that I wish students would um, realize is really important because at the time when you're studying everything else, you kind of brush it off as yeah. something that you have to memorize, but then you forget about. Yeah. But that's something that would be really good to have in the curriculum and maybe stressed a little more. Yeah, and you know, I, I would agree with that because when I was in PT school, which was a very, very long time ago, um, I feel like my sort of statistics class was, like you said, it was something like, oh, well, you know, I have like a gross anatomy test. I have a kinesiology test. So this can kind of go by the wayside because how important is to remember stats and to remember, you know, all these sort of terms, like you said, that are just easily memorized. And then you start working and then you start getting your journals from the APTA or pain uh, journals and things like that. And, you know, you're reading through these studies and you're like, wait, what does this mean again? What I don't understand what this means. And I feel like unless you're actually like Stephanie, you're a researcher um, and Holly, this I'll, I'll get to you in a second because I'm sure this has probably changed a lot since I've been. Um, in school, but I do feel like I agree with Stephanie where I feel like I didn't get a very good base on methodology and research. And, you know, I think a lot of times when we see studies published, whether you're just reading the abstract or you see a news article about it, you know, I think sometimes people sort of cherry pick the good stuff from a study. Stephanie, I don't know if you've, if you, you kind of know what I'm saying. And, Mm -hmm. And but they're not looking like well the study only had five people in it. Do you know what I mean? Right. So having a better I- I- a better idea of what all this stuff means, and you can take that study and carry that evidence based treatment into your treatments for your for your patients, and that's where it becomes applicable. Right, and I would say too, you know, you learn a lot about p values and stuff through statistics but it seems like clinical research is really moving towards looking at confidence intervals mm-hmm. and i i mean i don't know how much pt programs stress the confidence interval looking at the confidence interval rather than the p value in studies because i know a lot of people want to see statistical significance but you have to look for clinical significance there's just so many nitpicky things that you need to look for in a study right yeah absolutely with everything else going on i mean 
you don't really pay attention to it as much as what you would with other classes. Right. Yeah. And I would agree with that. And Holly, how about you? What, and, and again, feel, please add on to what Stephanie just said about the statistics since you have, have gone through your whole course. Um, and also what do you feel like you just didn't get enough of that now that you're starting work, you're like, man, I wish I learned more about X, Y, or Z. Well, I'll start to kind of address when uh, the research limitations that Stephanie is kind of feeling. We uh, we kind of have a circular curriculum. We refer to it kindly as the tornado curriculum uh-huh. <laughs> because you feel like that's what's happening while you're in it. Uh-huh. Uh, but we come back to it. So we start with our evidence-based practice course is sort of our first research style course, starting to be introduced to the terms and what it means to be an evidence-based clinician and then we have our research one course, which is terminology and learning about the research process. And then we revisit more of the statistics and the analysis in our research two class. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite things that we did, um, this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Carrie, Karen, about the cherry picking mm-hmm. information out of articles, because definitely that is likely what a lot of us did in our first year when we were doing projects is we're like, oh, this looks good because I like this information. Right. This, this, this supports, this supports my hypothesis. Thing, yeah. Know that it, like you said, it only had a sample size of five patients and only right. two of them were actually used in analysis. Right. Right. Um, we looked at articles. We did an activity probably about once a week. We'd read an article and then we'd do group discussion on it mm-hmm. and we would pick out five pros of the article and five cons and then kind of rank it uh, based on what we found. Mm -hmm. So rank the the strength of the study. Yeah, to kind of say, is it a good study? Is it a bad study? And why? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and just to really analyze what we were reading and talk about it as a class. And different groups would pick out different things. And it it was a good process to go through because you sit and really analyze the article and look at their process and maybe find things that they were missing or find things you wish they did or wish they had a bigger sample size. And then looking at the applicability to the field of physical therapy, is it a useful article or is it not? Right, right. And I think, you know, Stephanie, hopefully this is something that I don't know what your curriculum is like in the next couple of years, but hopefully maybe this type of a setup is within your curriculum for the next two years. And if it's not, well, good for you because you can maybe bring it up. Yeah, it, right. It, from from talking to from talking to my my classmates that are above me in the other two years, second years and third years, it's it sounds like they do something similar to that, mm-hmm. where you do look at articles and you critically yes. analyze the article. So, I mean, it's something I feel like since since evidence based practice is becoming such a hot topic in physical therapy yes. that we are getting better at for sure. That's great. I feel in medicine in general, everybody is just getting better at getting uh, publishing better quality studies mm-hmm. and reading and critically analyzing those studies. And I think that that's something that we, you know, can always work on. Yeah, sure. Sure. And Holly, how about you? Now that you've finished, what what do you wish was like more prominent in your education? I think. For me personally, we didn't have a lot on chronic pain and pain uh, science. No. <laughs> well, yeah. No. <laughs> we were introduced to it, you know, the beginning of PT school and didn't really revisit it. And I found in clinic that there are a lot more chronic pain patients. Yes. I was prepared to deal with. And yes. I ended up doing a lot of self-research and chatting with my CIs about mm-hmm. it and Kind of one of the things that we ultimately realize is at the end of our curriculum, we all sit down with all of the faculty and all of our classmates, and we talk about things that were missing from the curriculum or what we felt, and we went through each course that we took and talked about the pros and cons. Yeah. And I kind of think that the general consensus is PT school, they always use the, the phrase, is like drinking from a fire hose. They throw out all this information to you. They present where to find the research, where to look in your textbooks. Here's Mm -hmm. um, the PowerPoints. Here's the information from us. Here's your faculty as a resource. So they can't teach you everything. Right. 
and it gets to a point where I think the missing pieces of the curriculum aren't necessarily missing because you get in clinic and like for me, I noticed, oh, look at these chronic pain patients. I'm going to do some research on mm-hmm. it. I, mm-hmm. I know where to look. Mm-hmm. Faculty have taught me that. Okay. Um, one of the other topics that we talked about was acute care is we have a course on acute care. However, acute care, once you get in there as a student, it sort of ends up being on the job training. Yeah, absolutely. They can't teach you all the conditions and everything you're going to no. see. And no. You just have to get in the environment and right. learn and do your own research when things come up. Sure. So I think that is ultimately the general consensus. One of the things that specifically for our program we're talking about adding is teaching clinical Spanish. Oh, interesting. Of course, they're incorporating it into the curriculum. Uh-huh. For us being in Texas and being very sure. close to the border, it's very important for yes. us to be able to communicate with our patients. And some of us got out into the clinic to find that at certain clinics, it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. You had to use interpreters mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. using family members as interpreters is not yeah. a good idea. Yeah, so yeah. We, we found challenges with that if we couldn't speak Spanish. Yeah, very interesting. And, and you know, I think for for me getting getting back to kind of the chronic pain sort of issue um you know i do a lot on this show with chronic pain and a, just a lot in in pain science neuroscience um education and um i have to tell you i think i've learned because i didn't really get that in in my college curriculum either but I think it's important, Holly, like you said, if you're not getting it within your college curriculum, which is unfortunate um, because the majority, because as a physical therapist, the reason that you're seeing people is because 95% of the time is because they're in pain. And Correct. I would even say 60% of those are chronic pain conditions. And, you know, I think that's where, and I'm sure both of you know this, but that's sort of where the work of, like, David Butler and Lorimer Mosley and uh, Adrian Lowe, that's where all of these guys kind of come in and do a great job if you're willing to read their research and really, you know, internalize what they're saying and go to their continuing education courses. Yes, it certainly fills in the gap that you miss in school, but if... If you don't, if you're not proactive about it, and it sounds like you two ladies are very proactive, um, I think it's a real missed opportunity amongst the PT curriculums in general and a missed opportunity as an individual physical therapist. So, I don't know. I just, you know, I've had, we've had multiple discussions on this show about chronic pain conditions, and I actually have... In a couple of weeks, I'm interviewing Adrian Lowe about central sensitization, and that's it, just because I feel like it's such a, a not very well-understood and well-comprehended phenomenon within the PT profession. I don't know. Anyway, it's a whole other story. What, what do you girls think about that? I mean, do you feel like if you're proactive and you go out there after your uh, education and really kind of go after a lot of this stuff, do you feel like you can fill in the blanks that perhaps were missing from your curriculum? Well, I think that that's definitely something you can do for sure. I mean, even in clinical, you're going to come across things that you're not sure about that you're going to have to look up. Mm -hmm. And I think even clinicians today, like you said, are coming across things that maybe they uh, didn't learn in school or need to brush up on their skills on, and they're going to look it up. I think WashU does a pretty good job about uh, make, preparing us to treat, you know, all types of patients, including yeah. patients with chronic pain. Yeah. And I think that if there is any missing parts of the curriculum, that's something that even though you're busy as a physical therapist, you're always going to be a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. You're not going to know everything. Absolutely. So it's really important to keep to keep up on what are problems in that you come across as a clinician sure. so that you can make sure to give the, your patients the best treatment that they possibly sure. can get. And, and I'm sure Stephanie would, would back this up as to really keep abreast of the latest research so that what you're doing is up to date and the information you're imparting upon your patients is current. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to kind of wrap things up. The hour goes by so quickly, and we're going to talk about what 
you should know some some advice looking for a job and what's the job market like out there. So we'll be right back. Everybody stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at MontyTaylor.com. Talking Alternative Radio. 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by Holly Polkett and Stephanie Sandvik. Holly just graduated with her DPT from Texas State University, and Stephanie is in between her first and second year of physical therapy school at Washington University in St. Louis. So, ladies, let's talk about looking for a job. You go through all this school, you spend all this money, you spend all this time, you're super smart, you graduate, then what happens? You know, what do you, and there is, just so people know, there's a great article that wa- that's on PT Think Tank, which is pttinktank.com. So for all you students out there, it was written by Lauren Riley, who incidentally wanted to come on this show with you girls, but she, I think she had like a first day of clinical or something today. Um, but she wrote a great article uh, that is what clinic owners are looking for when hiring new DPT grads. So Holly, let's start with you. What do you, what is, what's the job market like? You're out there looking for a job right now. And what do you feel is something that can kind of give you an edge when looking for a job? Well, it kind of depends on the part of the country you're looking in. Um, some of my classmates that are looking in the Austin and the Central Texas area uh-huh. noticed that because of the Medicare changes recently, oh, yeah. there are some hiring freezes going on, mm. um, especially in the acute care and hospital yeah. areas. Yeah. Um, some of the outpatient clinics as well are kind of nervous, and they're holding off on hiring right away just because mm-hmm. they see how the Medicare changes are going to affect right, business right. and uh, reimbursement and everything. So it's been a little difficult for for some people oh, to no. get good positions. Um, it it kind of also depends on what area you're looking in. SNFs um, are always hiring, and they love to have new grads. Oh, SNF is a skilled nursing facility. For those of you who who don't know what a yeah. SNF is, it's a skilled nursing facility. So you're working with the 75 and older crowd. Yes. yes, and they they love new grads, but it's also an environment to be cautious of because sometimes you are the only therapist mm. staff. So that's not necessarily something that 
I've found beneficial, so I tried to stay away from that and mm-hmm. tried to look that I was going to have a good mentor in wherever I was applying for jobs. Right. Um, they, a lot of clinics want you, depending on what area you're in, but I found for outpatient orthopedics, they're really competitive because yeah. that is where a lot of people think they want to start or have a passion in. And some of them will not look at your application unless you have three to five years of experience as a PT. Right. So definitely kind of tying into your second question, you want to be able to stand out. Uh Because sometimes you can convince them that you are a good investment for them, even though you don't have the three to five years of experience. Mm -hmm. So I would say... You want to have something unique. Same thing when you're applying to PT school. You have to have unique things that stand out Mm -hmm. for you, Mm -hmm. and you have to sell it because they don't know you. They're looking at you from a resume or maybe from a phone call. You have to impress them. So definitely knowing what your passions are and knowing what your strong suits are. So for me, I am a certified yoga instructor, so I always – give them that information yeah. and a lot of people are very interested about that interested in why I decided to do that and what I want to do with it in the future mm-hmm. and I think that that's another thing that employers and Lauren definitely talked about this that was a fantastic article that she yeah. wrote is they're looking for somebody that doesn't want to just show up to be a PT right like nine-to-five job. They don't want somebody to clock in, clock out. They want somebody that's doing things outside of the clinic. So whether your passion is promoting patient wellness or fitness, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. you want to work with the high school football team, or for me, being a yoga instructor, whatever it is that you do, bring that. If you're a triathlete, tell them that. Tell them what you like to do, and also tell them what you want to do as a PT, if you want to do a residency or you want to be board certified in mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. or you want to be the APTA president. It doesn't, uh-huh. it doesn't matter as long as you show something that you're interested in and that you're passionate and that you want to have physical therapy as your career and not your job. Mm, well said. How about you, Stephanie? What are some things that you're sort of... Now, Stephanie, you have a great resume. You have a wonderful, wonderful background in... Um, research. So talk about something that's going to allow you to stand out uh, individually. But what are some thoughts that you have in your head for when you graduate in two years? I would definitely agree with Holly on every point that she made. I would say one of my strongest attributes as an applicant for a job would be my passion. And I think passion is something that's really important. It's really important to know what you want and to communicate that with your future employer. Mm -hmm. Uh, currently, I'm working on getting my master's in clinical investigation, so my research year that I've been doing will allow me to get that degree. Mm-hmm. So I'll be, I'll have credentials to do research if I want to in the clinic or take a physical therapist research position, which is something that I'm definitely interested in. And then also, I've become very involved in the APTA, and I've been trying to. Um, uh, I've joined, I've become a committee chair for the Foundation for Physical Therapy, which nice. is research-related, so uh-huh. something I'm very passionate in, hoping to make an impact on the profession. I think it's important to, you know, let employers know that not only do you want to have an individual impact with your patient, but also you want to leave your footprint in the profession. And so um, Lauren talks about building a personal brand mm-hmm. in yourself in her article, and I feel like a couple of things that I've been able to build just throughout my years of, you know, getting an education is my passion for research, my passion for people, and my passion to um, ensure that we're moving forward. And yeah. I know that that's something that lines right up with APTA's uh, mission statement is moving our profession forward. Yep. And I think that that's what a lot of clinics want, want to do. So Great. it's really important to really communicate those ideas to your profession or to, to the clinic that you want to apply at because you want to make sure that you're going to be happy there and that they're going to be happy with you. Sure. And going to PT school. Absolutely. And I had a, a question via Twitter from Tyler G. Bauer or G. Bauer. God, I, I am the worst at pronouncing names when I don't 
I try and do it phonetically. Anyway, he his question was, any tips for a soon-to-be new graduate DPT moving to New York City? And I have to say, exactly what you girls just said, Holly and Stephanie, is, you know, you're moving to New York City. It's, it's much different than, you know, Stephanie coming from... Um, you know, St. Louis, which is obviously not as as large as New York City or even from North Dakota, is all of a sudden you're sort of a little fish in a very, very big sea. And so I think the advice that both of you just said, you know, finding ways to make yourself stand out and kind of be, you know, head and shoulders above, let's say, the rest of your, and I hate to use the word competition, but, you know, when you're looking for a job, you are sort of competing with other people for that position. And I think moving to New York City, you you really have to do something or, or have passion or market yourself in such a way that you are going to stand out. And also, you know, get a lot of roommates because it's super expensive to live here. <laughs> As a new grad, I don't care. You're, you're not making the amount of salary necessary to have your own apartment in New York City unless you're not living in New York City if you're like in Long Island or New Jersey or something. So my best advice, and I agree with both of you girls, and I think you said it perfectly, was to build your brand, stand out, make your the employer's want to hire you because you're there for more than a job. You're there for a career. You're there to further not only yourself, but the clinic you're working at. So I think you girls hit the nail on the head, and hopefully that answers uh, Tyler's question as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And on that note, we have run out of time. Um, So I want to thank you, Holly. Thank you so much, and good luck with the job search, and keep us posted on where you end up. Thank you. I definitely will. Sure. And Stephanie, thank you for for uh, taking the time out and calling in. And good luck with your next two years of school and your fellowship training and your research. And you probably will be the president of the APTA one day. So <laughs> I have a feeling. Thank you for having me. Sure, sure. Thank you girls so much. And um, everyone, thanks for tuning in. And next week we'll have from... PT Think Tank, Eric Robertson on the show. So everybody have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, I'm Dana. And I'm Don. We We are are Certified certified Mediators. And I am a family and couples licensed therapist and author of Please Don't Buy Me Ice Cream. Our show, New Beginnings, is about helping you and your family recover financially and emotionally and start the beginning of your life. We'll answer your questions on divorce, family court, co-parenting, personal development, new relationships, blending families, and more. Dana and I will bring you to a place of empowerment and belief that even though marriages may end, families are forever. Join us every Monday starting September 10th at 10 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. This is Tony Martinetti, the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Technology, fundraising, compliance, social media. Small and medium nonprofits have needs in all these areas. My guests are expert in all these areas and more. Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern, on Talking Alternative Broadcasting. Are you fed up with talking points rhetoric? 
Everywhere you turn, it's left or right spin, ideology, no reality. In fact, it's ideology over intellect. No more. It's time for the truth. Join me, Larry Sharp, a.k.a. The Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 Eastern, for the Ivory Tower radio program. In the Ivory Tower, we'll discuss what's important to you, society, politics, business, and family. It's provocative talk for the realist and the skeptic who want to know what's really going on, what does it mean, and what can be done about it. So gain special access to the Ivory Tower and listen to me, Larry Sharp, your Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11, New York time. Go to ivorytowerradio.com for details. That's ivorytowerradio.com. The Ivory Tower is a great place to visit for both entertainment and education. Listen in, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11. It will make you smarter. TalkingAlternative.com 